Hello, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I like to talk about the place where creativity and resilience come together and uh, how people keep on doing what they're doing and why they love what they're doing. And today my guest is my friend from New York. I did this when I was in New York, Jim David, comedian. I met him on an RSVP cruise in the late 90s, and we've been friends ever since. Um, man, that's a long time. Um, he's so good at what he does. He's so funny, and uh, I can't wait to talk to him all about it. Well, I, I don't need to wait because I already did it, but you get my point. I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to mention that my observation deck cards are available. If you want to have an observation deck of cards of your very own, you can get them. Just go to DennisAnyone.net, and there's the information there on how you do it through PayPal. You'll get them in a couple of weeks. It's 25 bucks, and um, you can delight your friends and uh, family with provocative observation deck questions. And I also want to mention LifeCast, my new business, because everybody's got a story, and I am um, a professional at drawing it out and shaping it. And if you want to capture a story for yourself or a loved one, this is a great way to do it. It is low stress. It's fun. Nobody has to be on camera. And that interview is available on your phone to share with whoever you want, whenever you want it. So to learn more, go to getalifecast.com, because I would love to interview you or that loved one that has maybe a special occasion that they want to celebrate. So, getalifecast.com. All right, without any further ado, here is comedian Jim David. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful and very well-lit uh, New York apartment of my friend Jim David. Hi, comedian Dennis. Comedian extraordinaire. Hi, Dennis. Um, I was happy when I came to your neighborhood because I saw that a lot of the things that I remember are still there. Yeah, but... Although in, it's changing, Well, right? but in the... the, uh, the, the there's too much that's changing because, like, we lost our deli, we lost our liquor store, and we lost our diner, and we lost two restaurants on our street, and we're losing the Chinese restaurant at the end of the year. And this is all because their leases are up, and then the landlord triples the rent. And so, in other words, there have been articles written about this in yeah. New York, and, like, all of a sudden, a restaurant or somebody will come into a neighborhood that's kind of crappy, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, the property values start to go up. And then once the property values go up, that restaurant cannot afford to, to be there anymore. Right. The thing that the makes landlord, it desirable are right. those places. Because all the landlords care about, for the most part, there are some altruistic landlords, but for the most part, all they care about is money. You know? Like, like there was one very high-end restaurant right down the street that right. has been here. for. That was one of the first restaurants in this area yeah. that really improved the, the cachet of the area. Right. You know, because... The park was used to be like known as Needle Park right. a long time ago because it was full of junkies and right. whores and gun violence. Yeah. And now it's very upscale. Right. But but this restaurant of last year had to move. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they've been there for twenty five years and then all of a sudden their landlord whoop up the thing. So there's that. You know, I'm amazed I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed I haven't been priced out there of you the go. market. But you also yeah. have a place uh, that you get away to. Yeah, a vacation yeah. home. Yeah, which is fun. Uh huh. So you get a, you get to do uh, a lot. You're in different places a lot of the time. Yeah. And occasionally on cruise ships, which is where I met you on an RSVP cruise in like '98, '99. Yeah, exactly. That was on. That was on a Caribbean cruise. It was wasn't super it? fun. Yeah, I got to go on it because I was I promote was promoting my book, and somehow I worked an angle where I did a reading and mm -hmm. stuff, and you were the entertainer. So they put like the get, those kind of guests together. Yeah, at dinner. exactly. And I I, I really and you loved, were sitting with Scott. Yes, yeah, Scott friends, Williams, my friend, friend Scott, friend of the pod, occasional listener. Uh huh. Uh, Hi, Scott. I uh, I remember just eating and eating, and then we'd always do a walk around the deck afterwards uh -huh. to let our food. Uh -huh. I love the walks around the deck. Uh -huh. I've met a lot of wonderful people. I've been doing comedy for 32 years this yeah. year. It'll be 32 years in April. Right. So I started in April of 86, so that's 32 years, right? Yeah. And I've met so many lifelong friends in my travels. That you keep people, in touch with? People that I never would have ever met before. Yeah. And Did you ever go to visit them in their place? I've, I have been known to. That's fun. We went to you Paris. You places. We went to Paris. We have a, we have a, a friend, a couple, these, these two guys who are Parisian married, right. married guys. Love it. And we, when we went to Paris, we visited them. And when we go to, you know, 
it's like I've got friends all over the world, literally. I mean, I could visit. We have a friend from who wants us to come over to South Africa with him and go Amazing. on safari. And, and uh, you know, I don't have time for all of that uh, because but I travel nice so know. much. Yeah. But it's nice to know, yeah. And it's so nice to go somewhere and know someone because you feel like you have a different experience than if you just do the tourist thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, so totally. Good. Yeah. What's different about performing on a ship versus performing in a club here in New York City? Nothing. Nothing. Not really. That's good. Um, not really, because uh, I mean, I'm uh, in either place. I am both uncensored, right? But yet, in this day and age, I have to be careful, right? Because you don't want to get too partisan, right? And divisive. Which is what I would love to do. I right. would love to be Bill Maher and John right. Stewart and do nothing but trash conservatives. Right. I would like nothing better than that. Yeah. But I can't do that because they, they're in the audience. Right. And they're in the audience in New York clubs. And in the age of, um, I refuse to say his name. Sure. Il Duché. Right. Il Duché. In this age, his followers are very angry and very trained and will not listen to you right. anymore. If you if you say something bad about him or or do like or, or point out a point fact out or a point out a fact, they won't they Jesus. won't. So so both in clubs and on ships, you run the risk right now. And yeah. and, and every comedian is experiencing this. But social media is a different different animal because you're really able to express your views there. Yeah, but you can get in trouble with that, too. Right. I've gotten in trouble with that. Yeah, I, I knew a little about this. Tell us the well, story. Well, no, what I did was I, I got very angry at this one conservative writer who posed very provocatively on the cover of her book. Yeah. With the with the with she was like almost fetishizing the the kind of gun that was used in Sandy Hook. Right. And I tweeted something at her that was unfortunate. I thought it was funny, but it was just nasty. Well, she retweeted it and 500 of her followers sent me hate tweets and death threats and then somebody tweeted out Somebody. This is why you've got to be careful now because right. it's the wild west out there. Yeah, we don't know what the fuck is on the internet. Yeah. And somebody tweeted out my name and my address and my phone number, and it said, "Go get him." Shit. And the day that I saw that was the closest I've ever come to having a heart attack. Do you call the authorities? I had. I, well, I first thing I did was <clears throat> change my phone number. Right. That was the first thing I did because I got a couple of. Was phones. it your cell phone or your home phone? It was my cell phone. Yeah. And so I, I don't know how they got this info. Wow. So I had, the first thing I had to do was change my phone number. And that's what I did that afternoon. Then I went to the cops. I went over to the precinct near you went here. In, you went, I went actually in. went in. I went in, yeah. And I said, yeah. what do I do with this? This is what right. happened. And they said, well, we can take down the information and you can report a threat of harassment. Right. And so I did. So yeah. that helps me if any future... There's a paper trail. There's a paper trail. Yeah. And then I, and then I forgot right after I... Right after I um, did that, I reported it to Twitter. Yeah, that and, this happened. Yes, and I I have since then never engaged anyone yeah. on Twitter. If I get a little annoying message from somebody, I either block them or mute them and yeah. move on. I do not respond. Good, that's because the way to do it. Bang, getting into an argument on Twitter with somebody you don't know is like banging your head against a wall right? and then rubbing off the blood and then going and banging it again right? and expecting different results. Yeah. And all you're going to do is, is break your right. face and make your life miserable. Well, it's a, like you'll hear people... Do that, not feed the trolls. Exactly. And you hear people... Because that's what they want. Yeah. And uh, you'll hear people that have similar experiences going, you know, then the, the Twitterverse really came down and it was awful. And it's like, well, then don't engage. You know, I mean, it just seems like... You have to have a funny sense of humor about it. You know, this, was, yeah. this week is the Olympics and I've been watching this this uh, wonderful skater, Adam Rapon. His who, tweets are delightful. Well, he's he's just a delight. Yeah. Just because he is who he is. He's a right. big, he's a big girl. Right. And he loves he, Britney Spears. And he's a big girl. And yeah. he just will say, and, but he has a lot of people out there that hate him because of what he said about Mike Pence. Right. And so he just says, haters are just fans in denial. And I, I love just, it. And that's I just think that's so heaven. And so I really want to, such a great way to look at it. He said, they'll come around eventually yeah. to my side because I'm charming. Uh, that's the only way to deal with it. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you, it, it, it's, it, I'm, I, as I get older, I, I made a lot of mistakes in my career because I was very angry on stage in some regards politically. Right. Um, and I wanted to, um, uh, in, I wanted some people in the audience to get 
upset. I was after them. Yeah, you wanted to be provocative. I wanted to be provocative, but it, it, it ultimately didn't do me any good. Didn't serve you. No, because I, you know, I, in these days in my act... Uh, first of all, if they were to buy my CDs, I've got four CDs that are available on iTunes for Check download. Only one of them is a little divisive politically. Yeah. Just one. But the other ones are not. They play it more down the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I want people that don't agree with me to to um, think I'm funny. Yeah. And you are funny. And if I... And if... And it's like, look, I mean, you know, we're all here a very short time. Yeah. And I have no guarantee that I'm going to wake up in the morning. I swear to God, I don't. Right. And so why not just spread as much positive energy as I can? Yeah. And that's... That's... Because I went through a, basically a year of a nervous breakdown after the election. Right. I think a lot of people can relate to I, that. I was just, I couldn't believe that this is what has I, happened. Yeah, every day. But then like I, I just said, well, it's, I'll just do what I can yeah. and make, try to make the world a better place within my little world right. and hope that the majority of people come to their senses. Yeah. I, and I think they're coming to their senses. I think so. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. I mean, it's a brief blip. Yeah. And, like, look, I mean, there are certain, you know, conservative policies that, that might work. Right. But not their social policies. No. And, and not their divisiveness and not their racism and not their bigotry and not their homophobia and not trying to erase LGBT people from life yeah. which is what a lot of them are trying to do they've taken it out of the census yeah. they've taken it out of health protections governmental you know they've yeah. they've they've taken away protections in schools for trans youth they've doing all this stuff that is and they're they're trying to make it legal to discriminate based on religious freedom and yeah. that's what's got to that's where that's we have to stuff. that's where we have to put our foot down yeah. and say no no this is not acceptable look i'll meet way. you halfway i tell you what i'll let you have your guns you just lay off the rest of this crap. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, but I'm not going to let you have an assault rifle. Yeah. You know, you can have a, you can have as many handguns as you fucking desire yeah. and you can, you know. Somebody had this idea that I read to paint them all pink and see how many people still wanted to have them. Because it's, a lot of it's about the image. It's about the way it makes writing you feel like material, a stud. Writing material about this stuff is so hard, <laughs> which is why I love Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle so much. Right. Because, like, Chris Rock did this one great routine, and he said, I know how to get rid of gun violence. Just make every bullet cost $5,000. Right. Every bullet, $5,000. And I'd love to shoot you, but I can't afford it. Right. Exactly. Just, so that's a great joke, yeah. and it makes a point. That's the hardest material to write, you know. Yeah, I would think. It's really hard to... It's Like, I, I, I have a new line that gets applause and I didn't expect it to get applause I said we're never going to get guns out of the hands of mentally deranged people as long as we keep electing them right <laughs> and that gets that gets a yeah. huge a huge a great laugh so it's like there's a way to make a point yeah without being preachy because right. I can't look let's face it I can't stand preachy comedians yeah I've never been able to stand them right what was it like? Even on the liberal side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bill Maher gets... I love his work, but he gets on my nerves sometimes yeah. because he's like so preaching to the choir. I could see that. Yeah. What was it like when you started talking about your husband in your act? It You've been with Dan... 30 years 30 this years. year. Awesome. 30 years. Yeah. So Can what you, was it like when you started integrating that into, into your act? Well, it took me 14 years. Yeah. I always wanted to do it, but I was, I was both afraid that it would ruin my career, and a couple of people told me that. Yeah. I had a manager at the time said, I don't want to manage you if you're going to be gay. Right. I'm like, well, I am gay already, and you're yeah, already managing exactly. me. I, you know, I sucked a cock before I came here. Listen, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I felt crass when I said that. I don't know why I went there, but that's, that, you made it good. That's perfectly you, fine. You, you doubled down on that's it and perfect. made it work. That is perfectly, that's perfectly fine. Okay, good. Um, um, by the way, let me just go there since you went there. Sure. I had this woman in the... Remember several years ago when they started legalizing marriage equality in all these states? Right, it was a state and it would, at a time. it would like happen that like a, one court decision in 11 states yeah. would legalize it. Right. Well, I was doing a show, and it was in... I believe it was in Vegas or something. And um, this... Uh, I, I said, is, I'm from North Carolina originally, and then the whole front row goes, yay, yay. Right. I'm from, we're from North Carolina. Right. And I said, oh, do you realize they legalized marriage equality there today? And they went, yay! Then this woman right behind them said, two big thumbs down for that. 
marriage is a sacred union only between a man and a woman. And I said, not anymore. <laughs> and then it, 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 the conversation went downhill from there. <laughs> right? It just wouldn't stop. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. she was fighting me and I kept yeah. telling her to leave. You know, it's like, if you don't like the show, I'm not the comedian for you. Just leave. Right. And finally, I looked and I said, look, I've had enough of this. And people in the audience were telling her to shut up. Right. Because they were clearly on my side. Right. And I, because I'm like... I'm sorry that you disagree, but if you don't like it, the door is right there. Right. This is what people don't understand. They they think they have to sit there and fight us. Yeah. But you're, they're going to lose because we've got the microphone. Right. You know. So anyway, I said to her, I finally said, all right, look, ma'am, since you won't leave, I'll tell you what. Um, if you say one more word, I'm going to call security. And right. they'll, they'll, they'll move your ass out onto the street real fast. Right. But And I hadn't planned on this, but... Um, I'm going to do the next 20 minutes of just gay material just to piss you off. And, so, and she was just... That woman. She was just steaming. Yeah. But to answer... She your, didn't stay... She didn't say one more word, though. She, she didn't She, she did stay the there. Show. But she made it through the show yeah. without a smile on her face. Yeah. But... That was a good evening out. Yeah. But the answer to your question, what was it like when I started talking about my husband? Yeah. It was great. Uh, because of the way I did it, yeah. I didn't do it like it was an issue. Right. I just started talking about him. Yeah. And like it, and they responded. Yeah. And because I, as much as you, you know, the, the audience is some of the audience is a problem. Right. Audiences are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. And they pick up on. And things. they pick up on things. Yeah. They don't like to be preached to. They don't like you to have an agenda. Right. Um, they want you to feel like authentic. That was what I thought. There's a couple of comedians that are famous. I'm not going to mention their names. Right. But I thought they destroyed their careers by having too much of an agenda. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was too much. Right. Uh, and and I even saw one of them, and I said, well, I'm, I'm done with this. Because it was just 20 minutes of George Bush bashing. Right. And I'm like, okay, we get it. You hate him. Right. You know, where's the comedy? Where are right. the laughs? But I just started talking about him. And uh, then I did it on when and shortly... A, after about a year and a half after I actually came out, I got my Comedy Central special. Yeah, what was the name of that special? Comedy Central Presents Jim David. Love also it. available on iTunes. There <laughs> if you go. You search Fantastic. It for a dollar ninety nine, I think, and I don't get a cent of that because they own it. That's a huge deal to get a special. Where did you, where was it? Where at the Hudson you? Theater here in New York, where they filmed a whole batch of specials at the time. That was the that was the Netflix special of its day. Yeah, for sure. The Comedy Central special. Now it's everybody wants a Netflix special right. because it goes around the world and. It's it's translated into all these different languages. And it's sort of always there. It's yeah, always, it's always there. Yeah. yeah. When you do a special like that, do you get one shot through it, or do you do it a couple of times? One shot. You get one. But, is but it, do you feel an enormous amount of pressure? Um, once I got up there and I got my first applause break, which right. was after the first joke, I was like, "Oh, this is easy," and I was just sailing through it. So I also good. had I also had my set on bullet points on a teleprompter, right? So that you and it just says. You know, Martha Stewart. Right. Mother. Right. Church. Right. Right. So it's like I know where I'm going from bit to bit. Right. And at one point, I screwed up the order, and so I stopped the show and said, okay, we're going to go back and do that again. Because right. the producer told me that I could do that. Great. Because I said, we'll just cut it out. What a thrill. Yeah, it was great. But you have to nail your outfit, too. You have to think about what you're going to wear. I had... I must say that I've never looked better on camera, because I always hated the way I looked on camera. Right. I mean, the first time I saw myself on television, I thought... People may be eating. <laughs> oh, good. Um, but, but you no, nailed it on the special. I wore a Donna Karen suit and a and a dark blue shirt, open shirt, and it was just looked great. It looked great. It looked great. It's, I don't dress like that in a club. Yeah. And I would probably dress differently if I did a TV special today. Yeah. But um, which we're talking about. I would love it. Yeah, we're talking about it. I hope it happens. It, it, yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta have a bunch of bells and hooks that have to come together. But all right, I mean, don't. We're there, sending I'm, you good juice. We'll, we'll see it. Yeah, we'll I love see. that. But no, it was that was great. And so that was when I did that special. I did the stuff about my husband. Yeah, and became to my surprise the first out male comedian to have a special. That's huge. There was a there was a woman before me named Elvira Kurt right. from Canada who was the first gay person to have a special. Right. She was a lesbian, and so I was the first guy. Didn't, so I'll take it. Didn't Bob Smith do? Was well, Bob Smith. May, oh, may Bob Smith rest in peace. I know. We Bob Smith. Our, we Bob had a long ten year battle with Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. But Bob was the first out comedian to have. He was he was before me on the he, Tonight Show. He was on the Tonight Show, and yeah. and, and he had a, an HBO special. Right. 
So, so you were at Comedy Central. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, okay. So he came before me. Right. And That's... so I'm very quick to acknowledge right. that. Do you remember getting laughs as a kid? Oh, all the time. Do you remember how it felt? Oh, all the time. It was the way I, it was the way I was validated. Yeah. Because I wasn't athletic. Right. And I was made fun of because of the way I looked. Right. People would say things like, when I was at summer camp, my nickname was Vegetable because somebody <laughs> decided that I looked like a human turnip. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. <laughs> and and the, everybody started calling Just me. calling you Vegetable. Veg, Vegetable. Or <gasps> Veg, for sure. For sure. Short. And I had to go along with it. Yeah, because I was I had to laugh at it, right? That and then I had to turn around and go, yeah, and I'm gonna shit in your garden if right. you keep that up. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm gonna fertilize your ass. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so um, Dan's back. We'll say hi. Oh, hi, Dan. We love these kind of moments on the pod. Hi, hi Dan. Hi. We're doing the pod. We're, doing, yeah, we're the pod. doing the pod. You're making a cameo. It's all good. I'm making a cameo. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Do you remember like the first time, like one of the earliest times you? got a laugh you realized oh this is there's some power in this um yeah it was when well my parents are very funny yeah and they always encourage me to and they're funny to this day yeah like my father is 90 years old wow and my father will i'll pick up the phone and my father still has all of his marbles Fantastic. And he still plays golf three times a week. And he'll call me and tell me some joke he's heard on the golf course. Yeah. And, like, I'll pick up the phone and he'll say, so there's this 90-year-old man walked into a bar and he saw to a woman and he said, so, do I come here often? And then he goes, okay, see ya, and click and hangs it up. Right. Um, I think that the first time that I really realized there was power in in making people laugh was when I got a laugh on stage. Yeah. Because I was in children's theater. Oh, right. Okay. And so it was probably around the... It was probably when I... Like, when I was in, like, the ninth grade or something, I was in a play called Heidi. Right. You know, it was a musical, children's musical. Sure. And I was a butler. Okay. And I could I could use... I was like John. I was like a. I was like a ninth grade John Gielgud. Right. And I was speaking like this. Right. You know, very, and and people thought it was very dry. Yes. And it fit my personality. Right. And people. And this is I'm fifteen years old, but I'm acting like I'm a fifty year old man. Right. People thought this was hilarious. Right. And then when I was in Babes in Toyland, I played the goose. Right. That you know, if you remember the Disney movie, this this. Puppet goose comes out and right. is, is in it. Well, I was the real goose, the live goose, the live goose, and it was it was hilarious. And I got and 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 then I was in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and I was Ichabod Crane, and I I did the that was the British persona again. That was more right. Ian McKellen, right? You know, let's bring it back. And so that was when. Nice. So it was in my junior high and high school years when I I mean I was funny as a child, but when I realized. That I could do it and make strangers laugh. Right. And that everyone isn't that way. Like, that this is something special about me. That's and cool. also the, the, the director of the children's theater, may she rest in peace, her wonderful lady named Pat Mebbin. And she was like a housewife who became a theater director. How fun. And, but she was always artistic. And she, right. was, she was an actress. I mean, I was... The, that's why the community theater is so... I mean, you saw South Pathetic. Yeah, your one man. My show. one man show. It was I about. Loved it. it was you about all these different characters. about community theater. Yeah, and that's why I think that the arts are so important in the smallest community, and sometimes they need government support. Right. You know, because I mean, they get a lot of private support, but sometimes you know, like it. It always it always upsets me that they pay more attention to high school sports. Yeah. And they don't pay attention to arts. I mean, so many high schools are losing their band. Right. And their drama, and that give those arts places is where a lot of kids That's find their home. All of the kids like me and who, me who, who did not fit in. Yeah, in the I mean, I was a terrible athlete. I would right. I would I had to play sports at summer camp and in a couple of right and grades of school. And whenever I'd step up to the plate on the baseball diamond, the whole the whole team would just walk in. Right, like okay, this is going to be he's going to hit the ball about a foot. Right. We can all stand down. They're bringing our phones out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. When was the first time you went on stage and did comedy? Was it like an open mic kind of thing? It was, uh, well, the first attempt yeah. was in like 1980 at Catch a Rising Star in the opening. Yeah. And I just went up there to the opening, open mic night. Yeah. I was woefully unprepared. I thought that I could just get up and tell a few jokes. Right. And talk and say a few things. It was 
awful. Didn't go well. The audience stared at me like I had just spread my butt cheeks. Right. And showed a rash. Right. It, it was it was just death. And I walk off stage, and the MC, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. The MC said, uh, "That was Jim David. Remember that name because you'll never hear it again." <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> well, you showed him. Well, you rebounded. It, it. it took about five years, right? And then what happened was I took an improv class. Okay. Because I was see, because I was trying to be as I, one of the jokes in South Pathetic is I came to New York to be in the theater, and the theater said we don't really see you as an actor; we see you as an usher. Right. And <laughs> and because um, that was really true, because I, I came to New York to be an actor after college. Right. And I was in a bunch of off-Broadway shows that were so bad that I wouldn't even invite my friends. Right. And just nothing was taking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing was happening. I had to have survival. I sold typewriter ribbons over the telephone. I yeah. did singing telegrams dressed as a chicken. Oh, wow. A pink gorilla. That's amazing. You <laughs> That's... had, a, you had a, a different variety of costumes that you could wear. I... Oh, what was the worst one? The worst one? The worst costume. You're like, oh, I hope I don't have to wear the... Oh, well, I just was the chicken or the pink gorilla. Okay, you had one of two. And one of two. But there was a couple of guys that were policemen and they right. were strippers. Right. Or there's girls that were French maids and they right. were strippers. And right. we were all struggling actors. Right. Going to houses and... I'll tell you something hilarious that happened. Oh, my gosh. I, I drove... <laughs> I drove out to Howard Beach, Queens. I used to have this little car that okay. had, didn't even have a floor. It was so cheap. Right. It was like Fred Flintstone. Wow. You know. And I drove out to Howard Beach, Queens to do a, a birthday telegram for this old man in the house in Howard Beach, Queens. And I saw so I you know, parked the car in the gravel driveway. Right. And I put my chicken suit on and put the head on, which was this huge San Diego chicken head. Right. You wouldn't drive in the, in the outfit. You're no, no, there. no. Yeah. <laughs> no. And so I knock on the door and, you know, this was before cell phones. Right. So I just knocked on, you know, I was scheduled to arrive between 8 and 8.30. Right. So I I knock on the door and I go into the kitchen and grandpa's in there and the family's in there. And I say, you know, would you like to know why I'm here? Oh my God. (laughs) I am here because it's your birthday. It was just ridiculous. Amazing. Uh, Just so, and, and then I would... I walked outside, and I pulled off the mask, right. and right away my hard contact lens fell out of my eye, oh, no. and went down on the gravel driveway. So I'm down on the gra- and it was it was dusk. It wasn't dark. Right. I could still see. Right. But I had to look really close to the rocks at yeah. the approximate place where the lens came down. Some guy comes out of the house and he looks at me and goes, "Hey chicken, hey chicken, what happened?" And yeah. I said. I lost my contact lens, and he goes, ha, ha, get a load of this. The chicken lost his fucking lens. <laughs> the whole household came out. Right, and, that's the real show. And pointed at me and was laughing. Yeah. And I finally found, you it found it and drove away in humiliation. That's amazing. Oh, I went to a mafia social club, and this guy said, I'll give you $500 if you take Sheila, my niece Sheila over there, my cousin Sheila, take her home and fuck her. Yeah. And I said, no, come on. And he goes, what, do you do this for a living? you got to be a male prostitute or something. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> it was in a mafia. That's a whole club. movie in itself. But anyway, no, I mean, I, but I was, I was trying to be an actor, and, and things were not happening. And yeah. so I said, well, I've got to try something, otherwise I'm never going to be a performer. Because I really right. wanted to perform. Yeah. So I took an improv class, and I did my first stand-up comedy in that class, just telling a horrible story about my life. Right. And the whole class was dying laughing. Right. And the teacher told me, you have a riveting stage presence. We really can't stop watching you. Don't ever tell that story again, but you have a really... Yeah. So what I did was I started looking at, um, oh, I started watching as many comedians as I could because I couldn't figure out what, what kind of comedy can I do. Right. And then it was when I saw Roseanne in her first spot on The Tonight Show in 1986, just the way that she was talking about her family. Yeah. You know, my, my husband said, I need more space. So I locked him outside. You know, stuff like that early yeah. Phyllis Diller, Rodney Dangerfield kind of stuff, which I loved. And so I just wrote a bunch of one-liners about my family. Yeah. And got up and tried it in an open mic, and it worked. And then I just, and it worked again, and I did it again. And then gradually, I, before I knew it, I had like 15, 20 minutes of material. Yeah. And so I invited a bunch of friends to come and see me, and I was opening for this singer. Yeah. This is at a cabaret and Thai restaurant around the corner from Port Authority Bus Terminal. Right. And then I started um, auditioning at all the comedy clubs, and I passed. 
There you go. So then within a year, I was making my living at it. Do you remember the first time you got paid? Yeah. Yeah, it was at a comedy club. I got like 10 bucks, 15 like, bucks. Yeah, money. Well, yeah. It was at it's the time. Start. Now it's now you get, now that same spot during the week would get you $30. Right. Back then it was like 15 Yeah. for just a spot, a 10-minute spot. Yeah. I remember the first road gig I ever did where I actually flew out of town and I went to this club in North Carolina and got paid. Yeah. I was the MC. So yeah, it just That's gradually good. it just gradually went from there. Yeah. But it was a very homophobic atmosphere at the time. There were still lots of people who uh who lots of comics who would tell really nasty gay jokes. And you're there. You're saying, and you're, I'm you're, right you're, there. you're going on next. Oh yeah. yeah. It would be like I mean they would never knowingly tell a racist joke if a black comic was in the room. Right. You know, but they did. Yeah. So, thank God that's I changed. remember there were panel shows that you were on where sometimes the guys... Were I was on a show called Tough Crowd. Yeah. With Colin Quinn. I on, remember that. On Comedy Central. You wrote an article about that for The Advocate. I did. Remember? Yes. <clears throat> and I that was a show where... Well, see, the, the Comedy Cellar is the number one club in America. Right. And it has been for about, I mean, it, it wasn't always, but for about the last 15 years, it's been the number one club. Right. Because it, I mean, chances are good when you go to see a show there that you'll see a celebrity. Right. Because they all show up. Right. To Pe- try out their material. Get this. This is yeah. what happened. Like, this is recently, a couple of months ago. The Tuesday night at night, they've got a show, uh, like on Tuesday, they have shows at 7.30, 9.30, and 11.30, and they sell right. them all out. The 9.30 show, the lineup, and this is all people who just walked in, called the club and said, can I come in? This yeah. is, they all happened to call in that night. Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., John Stewart, um, Aziz Ansari, and Amy Schumer. Holy shit. And then Amy Schumer was on last, and she said, we have one more special guest I'd like to introduce, and the audience goes, oh, holy shit, now what? And then Amy says... Oh, it's not like it's Madonna. And Madonna walked up on stage. Right. She's I a friend it. of Amy's. And so they just bantered. Ban- did a little thing. But that's the kind of place that's the Comedy kind of Cellar is. But the Comedy Cellar also has a, a table upstairs in the Olive Tree Cafe restaurant. Right. And there's one special table where the comics sit. Right. And back in the early 2000s, we would all sit there and have these these screaming political arguments. Right. And people would get personal and nasty and... You know, homophobic with me. Right. There's this one guy who, one or two guys, would always make a gay joke. You know, at my expense. And then I would turn around and say something completely hilarious and right. put them in their place. And that was the way that went. And Did so, you love that? Not Did you a, love the camaraderie no, of being no. part of it. No. Well, yes and no. Right. It was it was a little out of my league. Right. I've never been a bust your chops kind of comic. Right. Like I have with the audience in general, but not when you're sitting right there. No, you'd rather just have a nice dinner. I'd just rather have a nice dinner. <laughs> but I, I sort of, I, I was, I had a big mouth. Right. And I had definite political opinions at the time. This was all during Bush and the Iraq right. War and right after 9-11. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like right after 9-11, it, that, 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 the lines were drawn. Yeah. With all, like there were, there were comics who thought this was the U.S.'s fault. Yeah, and then there were comics who thought, "No, this is the Arabs' fault." Right, and they, you know, it was it was just very interesting time. Right, and uh, you were every, talking about the the panel show. The, well, that's where that tough crowd came from. From that was that table in the, that, yeah. those conversations in the comedy cellar. Yeah, and then we would do that on television. Right, and so if you sat there and watched Tough Crowd, and you go back and you can look at some episodes on YouTube. Some of those shows were really good and really right. exciting and, and like raw conversations. And right. some of them were a train wreck. Right. And you never knew what you were going to be. Yeah. And I was always the one that, that got the butt of the gay jokes. Because right. that's, I was the token one. Sure. And that's how a lot of the comedians, unfortunately, saw me. Right. Uh, look, unfortunately, they're still... I mean, like Adam Rippon just said, you know, I, every article begins gay Olympian Adam, Adam right. Rippon. Well, at the time with me, it was gay comedian Jim David. Right. Because just by mentioning it, all of a sudden that was all I talked about, right. which was not true. Right. But I would have to sit there, and when I wanted to turn around to say, and say to somebody on the air, go fuck yourself, I hope you fucking die, right. I'd have to laugh it off. Right. Because it, I had nothing to gain. So it was interesting. It was and, an but, interesting time. You know what my dad said to me? What? When my parents hated it. And my husband, when you were on TV, my, hus- my husband hated it. 
he just said, my, they said, why do you, my, my husband would say, why do you sit there and bother to argue with those idiots? Right. Because <laughs> well, I'm on television. Right. Did it's, you find that it raised your uh-huh. profile and got yeah, more Yeah, in many ways, yes. For your career. In many ways, it was, yeah. it was okay. I mean, a lot of people certainly knew who I was right. that did not before, and I got a lot of fans out of that. And yeah. I still have people tweet me, yeah. you know, with, Jim, I remember this episode. You never know what's out there. Right. You never know who you're going to affect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd never know what... I mean, just when you, just when you despair. I was on... I, would, I did a show a month ago. Yeah. And it was a regular audience. After the show, this huge man that looks like a big old bear right. with a big old gray beard comes up and he says, Excuse me, Mr. David, I just wanted to tell you that... Um, I saw your Comedy Central special when I was struggling with coming out, and you helped me to come out, and I can't believe that I'm seeing you and meeting you. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. And that must have felt amazing. It was totally I mean, that's not the first time that I've heard yeah. that. I've heard that at least ten times from some, some young gay guy who saw my special. And it meant something to him. And it meant something to him. That's why I was so thrilled with, with you know, because people are like, well, why does Adam Rippon have to... And I remember it was Adam Lambert, remember? I was yeah. obsessed with him. When I worked in New York briefly uh, for like a few months on a show, Big Gay Sketch Show, it was the Adam Lambert American Idol season, and I would come over here and watch the episode, and, and you just loved him. And I got to tell him that when I interviewed him, that uh, that I had a friend that, that loved how um, out there he was able to be. Yeah. I, that's what I really admire, is yeah. somebody who just is like, hey, look, this is me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... While, you know, some people say, oh, it's wonderful to be you. I'm like, well, what if you're Ted Nugent? Right. <laughs> it doesn't work always that way. Right. He's like, that's him, too. But he's yeah. such a dick. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's why with with Adam Rippon, when he, he you know, he got, he got all this flack for speaking out against the vice president's history of anti-gay. Somebody's got to. Right. He needs to be called out. He's yeah. got a very documented record of anti-gay. Right. Legislation and and views and it's like sorry yeah I'm just telling you the truth and so that but that's why I admire that so much you know because it's yeah. unfortunately you still you st- people are still out there yeah. getting the gay kids are getting the crap beaten out of them yeah I was just reading online about you know Gus Kenworthy kissed his boyfriend at the Olympics and it was on NBC and what it meant to people to see that like. Wow, this is a this is different. This is new. This, mm-hmm. this is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, got, you were on Broadway. I was. Yeah. Tell us about that. I was on a. <laughs> I was in a Broadway musical. Well, you remember the best little whorehouse in Texas? Of course. Well, they wrote a second best little whorehouse. Right. It was called the best little whorehouse goes public, and it was right. about a whorehouse in Vegas that went on the stock market. And this is a true story. Right. Right. And I was in it, and yeah. I they cast they 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 needed a comedian, right? And to come out and they they staged it like a big. It was a Tommy Tune production, production, yeah. And he well he he didn't produce it. Universal Studios produced it, right? But Tommy Tune was one of the directors, and he and Peter Masterson, who did the original Whorehouse, right, did this, and the original authors did it and everything, right? And they were. Because Tommy Toon had done the Will Rogers Follies, which was the story of Will Rogers in the format of a Ziegfeld Follies right. review. Well, this was supposed to be a big Vegas show. Right. Right? And they're telling this story within the framework of a Vegas review. They had an Elvis impersonator. They had a Siegfried and Roy impersonator. and right. margaret Cher. You know, it was it was fun. And Bob, right. Bob Mackey did the costumes. It was a big spectacle. Oh, it was a big old spectacle. And I was wearing a turquoise... Bugle beaded Bob Mackie tuxedo. That's that is worth the gig right there. I know, and I would come out in between all the scenes, yeah, and punctuate what had been, you know, tell jokes about what was transpiring, right? And so my whole role was not interacting with the characters. I was talking to the audience. You were the MC. I was I was like the MC in cabaret. Was it weird for you to do that and not perform jokes that you wrote? Well, I wrote them all. You wrote them all. So you got <laughs> because, to you, they got to be collaborative. The, the material the material that they were writing wasn't, wasn't funny. You, you you made it <laughs> and work. And I kept saying in rehearsals I'd go, "Well, what about this line?" and they'd go, "Oh, that's great." Yeah. And then I what about this? And it was like and they took every one of my suggestions right. because I said, "Look, if my ass is going to be on stage right. by myself at the Luntfontein Theater, my ass is going to be funny. Right. And also you're you're the expert in that world. That's yeah. your world. Mm-hmm. 
Did Bob Mackie do a sketch of you? You know, I love his sketches. It's I've right seen up some there of them. on the wall. Oh my god, you have it! Wait a I was Wait like, a I was afraid to even bring it up because I thought you might not have it, and it would be a sad thing that you don't have it. Oh my god, you have it! Look at that. All right, it's beautiful. We're gonna take a picture of this and post it on the pod. Yeah. Look at that. Wow! It is a, it's a the, so the bugle beads were down the side, like stripes. No, the, and, and the bugle beads were right here in the lapel. In the lapel and on the uh, yeah, and on the oh. stri- sides. Yes, down the. You right. got a microphone. Right. Mm-hmm. He autographed it. Right. And I love that you're nice and tall and thin. Yeah, he did. He yeah. did. Uh, he did a sketch of all of us and gave. That was everybody's everybody's opening night party present. Was, what an amazing thing to was get. their Bob Mackie sketch. So the show did in color. The show like, wasn't a success. Uh, right. Critics didn't like it. Right. We ran a little bit, but eventually we we got eaten up by the Broadway machine. What did that feel like? It was like the, it was, was it all, like it was all of the highs and lows of show business in one segment. In like one little chunk. In like one little chunk. It was the happiest experience of my life. Oh my god! Until the reviews like, came yeah. out. Yeah. Now I was. Treated okay in the reviews. The New York Times slammed me, and my mother read that, and she burst into tears. Wow! But other people liked me. Yeah, because I, all I did was get laughs, and so right. I got I got good. Uh, th- I mean, no, there you actually did, there were two. There read. were two New York Times reviews. One yeah. in the one after the opening night, and then one in the Sunday paper by two yeah. different writers. Oh, that's interesting. And the second one really loved me. Yeah. So the first one didn't. Well, he hated everything. Right. Uh, but uh, it was it was. Uh, I thought that I was going to run on Broadway for a year. Yeah, and I was—I hadn't didn't have anything booked right in, after it because I'm well. I'm going to be on Broadway. Yeah, I can't commit to anything. No, no, because audiences were really enjoying it. Right, but I, I you know, I didn't. We, none of us really saw the handwriting on the wall during previews because we were having such a good time. And in a way, that's the best. You should be able to feel elated. Well, about well it's like, like that. it's like. What I had heard, because this was my first Broadway show, yeah. and everybody else in the show had done numerous, most right. most everybody else had done numerous Broadway shows. One of the chorus boys in that show, yeah. let me just tell you a story. I'm sitting in the... I au- love any story about a chorus boy. Okay, well, no, I'm sitting in the audience in the Lenfontaine Theater when we're in the theater in rehearsal. Right. And one of the chorus boys is complaining that he doesn't have any what they call feature moments. I got you. You know what I mean? I know. Feature moments. I was a cruise ship dancer. I get yeah. it. And I said, but you're great. And he said, well, Jim, you're a principal. You don't understand. And I said, well, don't you understand? I am not a chorus boy because I'm not good enough. Right. The only reason that I'm a principal is because they had a need for talents like mine. Right. And I just got this job on a, this was a lucky break. Right. And I said, you, you know, look, look, you'll, you'll get your featured moments. Well, that guy is a director now named Casey Nicolaw. Who has directed the Book of Mormon and oh won gosh. a Tony Award and Aladdin on Broadway and Finding Neverland? Right. So you know, there you go. There he you was. Am- featured moment. He was ambitious at the time, and right. he, and he made it. And now he's directing uh, Mean Girls, which oh, is wow. the new Tina Fey I'm musical. I'm dying to see that. Yeah, I love it. But anyway, it was um, it was a it was a I mean, it was a soul crushing experience to have those reviews and realize we were going to have to close. Did you? Because a lot of times those those casts really bond and they become like a family. And then it's over, and then it's like not. Well, I've did st- you have enough time to sort of? I've bond? stayed in touch with a good many of them. That's great. Um, the the woman who wrote it, Carol Hall, is, has become one of my good friends, and she wrote the music and lyrics, and she, in fact, sang at our wedding. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, talk to me about your wedding. Oh well, it was you guys have been together a long time. Oh my God, Dan! You know the Metropolitan Room just closed. No. Yeah, that's where we had our wedding. Uh, we had our wedding at a at a it closed. Yeah, the, the, no. Jamie DeRoy posted a thing on Facebook about it. It's for rent. Oh. Um, this was a club on Twenty Second Street called the Metropolitan Room, which was right. a cabaret. Yeah. It was a hundred seat cabaret, and it used to be the Gotham Comedy Club. Okay. And the same owners. So you'd spent a lot of time there. So I'd been there as a comic, and then they turned it into the Metropolitan Room, and yeah. that became a space for cabaret singers yeah. to do a show. And I went to see a lot of cabaret shows right. there. There's not, you know, cabaret is very expensive, and it's hard to, you know, you know, what do you do with a, a, a young performer who wants to sing Gershwin? Right. You have to do it in a cabaret. Yeah. And that was a great space to do that. And we wanted to get when we realized we had to get married for the insurance, right? To stay on his insurance policy at work. They, you know, after they legalized marriage equality, was it just in New York, or did you do it after the federal? 
Uh, we did it before the federal. Okay. But we, it, we, they legalized it in, in New York. In New York. Right. Because they said, okay, now they've legalized marriage equality in New York, so we're not going to do any more of this domestic partner right. insurance bullshit. Right. So um, we looked around, and I talked to a friend of mine who's an event planner, and he said, look, why don't you do it in a comedy club? And I went, a comedy club? But then I went, oh, the Metropolitan Room, and we could have singers. Yeah. And so I called them up, and they said, why, yes, we would love to do your wedding. Amazing. And they got a caterer, and, and we had pass-around hors d'oeuvres and champagne and, and, and wine. We had six of our friends from Broadway. That's amazing. And my parents, who sang at the wedding. Your my parents, parents sang at your wedding. They sang a beautiful song called Where Did We Go Wrong? It was an absolutely beautiful moment. <laughs> That's the name of the song? No, I'm kidding. That's, That's hilarious. That's a joke. What did they think of Dan? Have they? Uh, did they take to him right away? They took to him right away. He's so lovable. He's a mensch. Yeah. So he's a, he's a mensch. Not? He's a mensch. So they took to him right away. Did it feel different being married? Or yes. did it feel like the same? It felt, it felt different that night. In what ways? Because it was legal. Because it's like, we're legal. This and is it different. It felt like legitimate. Yeah, it felt, it felt like, okay, we're not just shacking yeah. up after 24 years. Did it come naturally to say my husband? Mm-hmm. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. Yeah. That's and awesome. you know, it's the funniest thing is that I was just home with my parents on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And my dad said, now, what do, what do you call Dan? Yeah. So what do you mean? What do I call him? I call him Dan. Right. And then and he says, "Well, no. How do you introduce him to somebody?" And I say, "Oh, oh, oh. Do you, do, is it, do you say this is my partner?" I say, "No, this is my husband." Yeah. And Dad went, "Your husband?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Well, all right. I'll get used to it." There you go. Because <laughs> it's baby steps, a little it's bit of out time. of his wheelhouse. Yes. Your parents sound hilarious. They're, they're great. They're yeah. wonderful people. I really lucked out with them. What have you learned about? Weathering the ups and downs of, of a creative, d- difficult business. You have to keep, you have to keep at it, and you have to keep coming. I mean, look at you. I know in your career. I've always. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Look, look how many ups and downs you've been through. Yeah. Thank you. And, for and noticing. you have to, you have to yeah. completely. Nobody's going to call you up and offer you work. Right. Um, I'm in a good position because I have several. Venues and cruise lines that really love me, right. so I can you still make a good living. Yeah. But let's face it, I'm, I've aged out of most comedy clubs yeah. because most and they don't pay enough. And sure, they put you in a Holiday Inn under the interstate, and the only place to eat is an Applebee's. Yeah, fuck that. I have been there and done that. Right, you've had I'd the much, fries. I'd much rather go on a, a huge. 5,000 passenger yeah. Royal Caribbean ship yeah. and perform in a theater for 1,500 people yeah. where I have two follow spot operators and a, it's, you yeah. know, and you're uncensored. Right. They let you do whatever you want. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. Right. It's like performing in Vegas. Right. And I was just in, like I was just at the Borgata in Atlantic City yeah. in a 900 seat comedy club. And that was wonderful, you know, but you just have to, you have to, you have to constantly I read. I remember the first book I ever read about acting mm-hmm. and acting professionally. I think that was the name of the book. Yeah, acting professionally, and it said, "Remember, being an actor or a performer takes twenty-four hours of each day, and the majority of that is looking for work, yeah, rather than working." Wow. And so you have to keep doing that. And That's a hustle. I have to make sure that. I mean, because I have two homes, I'm locked into a financial... Yeah, you got a monthly nut. I've got a monthly nut. And so I have to make sure that I'm booked yeah. for at least a year in advance. Um, we, and and you done, have to... Yeah. You have to... But you just have to... You just have to keep on plugging because you'll have to find your niche. Right. Because I think that I've been lucky enough to find kind of a niche. Right. You know. And there are certain things that I wish had happened that, that haven't either haven't yet or didn't. Right. But also there's the fact that I never cared about being famous. Right. I mean, I, if if it was offered to me, I could handle it. Right. But but it wasn't like the reason. No. Yeah. And there are several comedians that have become famous. They wanted to be rich and famous. Yeah, that was the whole. That's all. And then I also know another comedian who all this comedian ever wanted was to be rich and famous and is not. Yeah. And consequently is bitter and right. angry in in you know the, their fiftieth yeah. something year. And so I don't have to worry about that. I, I mean, I look at certain people, and I don't always envy the money or the fame, but they get to do the thing. They get to spend their days doing the thing uh-huh. that you love. Uh-huh. And so if you get to do the thing on whatever level, that's that counts for a lot. Sure. Um, you've been on a number of gay cruises. We met on a gay cruise. Yeah, 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 a bunch I, of them. I, I love the ones I've been on. What mm-hmm. do you tell people about gay cruises? When it's they the ask? same as a regular cruise, except the gay cruise backs into port. <laughs> 
<laughs> Je- I love that line. Je- gently, your delivery gently, is so good. Gently at first. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, what's the craziest thing you've seen on a gay cruise? Because you, you know, the it craziest, can be decadent and the, it can be oh, wild. the craziest thing. Yeah, a couple of guys in leather jock straps on the dance floor, and one of them had a jackhammer with a dildo on it, and was. Was was you know giving it up this yeah. guy's butt yeah. with this movable jackhammer? Oh, I saw that on the Disney cruise. And everybody's standing around <laughs> taping it on their phone. A literal jackhammer. A, well, it was like a thing. It yeah, was like it looked this, like a like a. It was a thing yeah. with a motorized dildo yeah. on it, and the guy is on the dance. Just on floor. the dance yeah. floor. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the deck or in a nice lounge. No, it was on the dance floor. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, in broad daylight. It, broad was, da- a, it was daytime. It was a tea dance. It was a tea dance. But there is something special, I think, about gay cruises. I have the I have the tape of. It, I'll show it to you. Oh, I want it. Maybe we can show. post it. No, on, we will on, not post we it. We will not post it. No. I will describe it in vivid detail. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're the first person I know that's been on cruises in the last, I don't know, six months. What's it like in the Caribbean? Like St. Thomas and San Juan. Oh, well. What are people g- doing? Rad- are they skipping them? No, they've, they, for several months they didn't go. Yeah. And they gradually have come back, the yeah. communities. We've started going back to St. Thomas and St. Martin. Good. St. Croix is still a disaster, oh. from what I hear. Yeah. St. Martin, it looks like uh, it looks like a hurricane hit it. Yeah. But there are some. But they, uh, I love that the ships are going back. They're going back. The establishments have uh, same. They go back to San Juan, which looks exactly the same. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, so it's it's going to take some time. Yeah. I mean, it could certainly use more help from the U.S. Uh, government. It's, that's there, I don't think there's shameful. any excuse that part of Puerto Rico is still in the dark. No, it's it's shameful. But thing. we have, uh, you know. Okay. You picked some fun questions from the observation deck. All right. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? Barbarella with yeah. Jane Fonda. Of course. I was way too young for that. Where were you? I was in like the eighth grade. And were you in a cinema? Seven, I was in a movie theater. Yeah. And I, I wanted to go see it, and my parents absolutely forbid it. Yeah. And so I went one afternoon. After, by yourself? After school. I yeah. think by myself, yeah. And it was just... It was... That was... Way too, I was way too young for it. Now you look at what it now. What did you make of it? Well, I thought it was cool as hell. And, yeah. You know, Jane Fonda was naked and David Hemmings was nearly naked. Yeah. And everybody was, you know. It was I remember, I rem- But I remember that was, Yeah. I was way too young. You were a little like, okay. Have you ever stolen anything? Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to steal record albums from Kmart. Wow. Yeah, and I got caught. Albums are big. Yeah, I know. They're hard to hide. I just would casually walk out of the store without them. <laughs> with them. With them. Do you remember what albums? Like Oh, the monkeys. Yeah. Um, you, the doors. When you hear a monkey song, you think of your career as a Yeah, and I and I would and I they called my father and he came and got me and he was very he he, he really guilted me out. And yeah. with just well, I believe so. I was yeah. a thief. You were a thief? Yeah. I used to Did steal. you succeed at fair amount before you got oh, caught? Oh I, I succeeded at a lot. Yeah. Yes, and I used to steal Playboy magazines Playboy. and i used to and i used to seal there were these there were these male physique magazines of at course. the time that yeah. don't exist anymore right but you know what i mean those yeah. athletic model guild sure where they showed guys in jock straps and guys in g-strings and posing on rocks of course and i would steal those yeah well they're good yeah <laughs> i wish good. i still had them i know yeah who's your most surprising fan somebody tweeted me you have big fan in serbia that's awesome. And I was like, wow. You know. That's so nice. Hello, Mr. Jim. You have big fan in Serbia. Oh, I had visit a, I had a screenshot of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats. That was great. Serbia. What's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once? Oh, when I first was when I first was falling in love with, yeah. with Dan. Your husband? Um, he would leave me. Honey, do you want you want some dinner? You want to come down? I'll make you a nice dinner. And just the way that he said it was so sweet. This and is I before you lived together. This is long before we'd only been together like yeah. six months. And I, you know, because I was, I had thought that I was going to be one of those people that. This is why I say never, never, never give up. Because I thought I was going to be alone for the rest of my life, and then I just met him. I forget you met on a dance floor. On the dance where. floor of a club called the Saint. Yeah. In 1988, which was a legendary. Gay dance club from the 1980 to 88. And what songs make you think of the Saints? Oh, uh, uh, Abba. Yeah. Uh, uh, Could It Be Magic by Donna Summer. Yeah. Um, Pet Shop Boys, Always on My Mind. Yeah. Um, Hold On to My Love by Jenny Ruffin. Um, yeah. Uh, In the Name of Love by Sharon Red. You remember that one? 
Uh-uh. How many times have you been in love? Can you take one? No. I don't know it, but okay. that's good. Oh, well, that's great. And, and Touch Me in the Morning by yeah. Marlena Shaw. Yeah. Now, I am strong. <laughs> do you guys go, do you, when you're on dance floors together, do you think, like, this is where we met? Of course. Does it have a, of course. a pool? Like, you make a point to go and dance. Of course. And then now he wants to sit out because yeah. his feet hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it. Yes. I love so it. Those, days are, those days are numbered. I love that you met on the dance yeah, floor. Yeah, we did. Who, do you feel like one? pursued the other or was it pretty you just kind of we well I was standing on for the record I was standing on the side of yeah. the dance floor dancing and he danced in front of me yeah. and kept cruised me and then he went away and then he came back yeah and so it was he he was one yeah. came up to me first love it and he was he looked like a young Daniel Day Lewis at the time yum yeah I love that what did you get picked up for as a kid? You talked about being veg. That was, I already talked, yeah. that was what it was. For being not athletic and looking yeah. and being funny looking. How long was the veg period? About five years. Shit. From like, from like. It wasn't like from, a summer. From like nine till, it was like five summers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Damn. Because I went to this summer camp that I really loved. Yeah. It was good, but it was a little fascist. Yeah. <laughs> the best camps are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what movie have you seen more than any other? Either Midnight Cowboy or Network. I love them both. Those are my two favorite you movies. You have a poster of Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy was the first X-rated movie to win Best Picture yeah. in 1969 or 70. I can't remember which year it was. What do you love about it? Well, I just thought it was genius. I thought that it was uh, a great, incredibly moving drama. I thought that it, it used adult material at the time in a very artistic way that wasn't right. gr- gratuitous. It just, and it shows the New York City at its most sleazy Right. And yet, just it's just so incredible that that was what it was like when I first came to New York. Right. There's this romanticism around. Yeah, and I just think it, it just it just moved me like yeah. crazy. Network, I think, is the greatest social satire ever yeah. filmed. The screenplay. It's still... It's, yeah. I, I go back to that. That's why I'm struggling with my screenplay, because yeah. I'm like, I want to write it... To, I want it to be like Network. Yeah. I want it to be that deep. Right. No, I hear you. And it's not. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? I fell off the stage and broke my arm. I remember this. Yeah, I was on this. I was. I was on. Uh, I, I was, was thinking about I, this I was, when I was. I was on. A, ready see to come the scar. See the scar. You right still there? have a scar. Yeah, sure. You were on a ship. I was on a ship, and I yeah. was. I was paying it. I wasn't paying attention. Right. And I just walked off the stage and landed on my on oh my, my shoulder, God. and I fractured my humerus. So you ended up in the in the infirmary on the ship. Uh, yeah, and then they. I sent came home from San Juan the next day and yeah. went to the hospital and. Uh, Wow. And before I went into the operating room, the uh, the nurse said, "You're a comedian, and you just fractured your humerus." Oh my God, that's good. <laughs> I remember this because I remember my roommate Tony at the time saying that you were gay bashed by the venue. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, yes. But here's what, here's what makes me. Uh, here's what's you were gay interesting about that by the venue, Tony. And I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about this stuff. That joke isn't funny if you say the room. That joke isn't funny. No. It, it's venue. Sometimes it's the right it's, word. It's the venue. It's the word that yes. makes the difference. And I think as a comedian, when you're writing a joke, you're like, okay, here's the be. idea. No, this is the word. It has to be the right word. And it can be a word that means the same thing, and it's not funny. Yeah. I think, I think that's so interesting about comedy. comedy it re- it really it. is. Yeah. What's the worst job you ever had? Um, I would say doing singing telegrams. Yeah. That's yeah. delicious, though. That's that, going to make it into a script or a. It made it into the story. novel. It yeah, made, it, I, I, it made it into my novel. Oh, perfect! I, you know, because my novel's about a struggling actress. You'll yes. be, you'll be swell, and it's available. And it's available on Amazon. You'll you be go. swell on Love Kindle it. or on Amazon. Right, and you you worked on that while you're traveling mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that. Five years from first paragraph to publication. You did it. I did it. What did it mean to you to have it? Finished book in your hands. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And what what really was more gratifying is that people really enjoyed it. Yeah. So that's why I still sell it. There you go. Yeah. Do you want to do it again? Or are you? I'm, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to write, to write this movie. I want to finish yeah. that, and I would love to do that. I just don't yeah. know what you know. We'll yeah. see. There you go. What do you make of social media? I think it's. I I really like the keeping in touch with old friends aspect of right. Facebook. You know. Sure. Um. But there's a danger and a dark side to it because yeah. before social media, we really had no idea how many angry, hostile people are out there right. who are just ready to lash out. Right. I've been guilty of that. I'm not going to. Right. I'm not. I'm not. I've had my moments sure. where I've typed out something that I regret. Right. So I try to keep it. Yeah, down. I try to keep an eye on it. Um, I like the fact that you can follow people on Twitter who will post interesting news items that you. Yeah. But if you if 
I wouldn't mind going back to the days before it, to tell you the truth. Right. You know, there's a lot of narcissism in it. People post pictures on Instagram of endless shirtless and yeah. body shots. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, look, I'm glad you look great. Yeah. You know, it functions as your own personal right. press agent. Um, I don't know. Then, I mean, I use it. Yeah. I use I it. Think, but uh, it's like say to. having 100,000 Twitter followers yeah. really means nothing because it's like, well, would you follow me into battle? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> would you follow me to a sit-in yeah, at the yeah, White yeah. House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because it's mostly, it's mostly just entertainment. It's yeah. mindless entertainment. What's your idea of the perfect day? Oh, sitting on the beach with a margarita with, with him with and the, just hanging out. Husband playing, playing Scrabble. Playing Scrabble. You bet. Are you a badass at Scrabble? I am badass at Scrabble. Yeah. My best word ever was onomatopoetic. And I don't even know if that's a word, but I used it. I feel like it is a word. Do, do you if, know what onomatopoeia well, is? Of course. It's okay. when a word sounds like well, what it is. poetic was already on the top of the board. Yeah. And I wrote in front of it, O-N-O-M-A-T-O. And that got me a triple and yeah. a seven-letter 50 bonus. And Dan didn't challenge? No, he didn't. No. He didn't know what it meant. It's too beautiful. So I, I don't know if it exists. I never, I never looked it up. No, you don't want to know. But I figured, believe I figured it. that if it does exist, it's a cool word. I think it's like God. Onomatopoetic is like God. You don't know if it's real or not, but you like, kind of like the idea that it is. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, final question. Yeah. Why do you do comedy? Uh, because it's the only thing I can do right now. Yeah. And I'm good at it. And yeah. I've, I have developed over the years. Uh, it's real good money for not a lot of work. Right. A lot of traveling. That's the work. Yeah. Getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and having the car pick me up to go yeah. to the Newark airport. That's work. Right. Um, but the time they are on stage. But, I mean, uh, I get paid good money to say whatever the hell I want to say as long as it makes the majority of the people laugh. Love it. Um, I feel like I can, I feel like I've had enough experiences, like that story I told you about the guy that came up and said, I watched your Comedy Central special. Well, that happened to me in another way. Last year I was on a, and this was in, I think it was in Atlantic City, and this woman, after the show, the stage manager comes and says, Jim, there's somebody who wants to see you. I go outside, there's this mother with her son, and he's in a wheelchair. And he looks like he's a late stage cancer patient, uh-huh. which is what he was. Yeah. And he ha- he was on oxygen. He's like 27 years old. And wow. she said, he just, you made him laugh for the first time in a year. Oh. And he just wanted to meet you. And I just gave him a big hug and asked him all about his life. And he told me that he had stage four cancer. And his mother said that he was born with half a heart. Wow. It's like, like why did he, I not draw that straw? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's why I do it. Yeah. Because you never know, you never know who's gonna, you never know who you're going to affect. Right. With your work. In a positive way. In a positive way. And so, you know, I, you know, that's why I try to, I work really hard to, to, to not be too divisive. Yeah. And to not be too, um, incendiary. Sure. Because there's other people doing that for us, for God's sake. There's, we're in a very nasty vulgar tawdry period it's, a, it's a little bit nuts it's just tawdry yeah. with the fucking stormy daniels yeah. paid off 130,000 right and it's not even that big a, that's like the 10th story on the list oh but, uh, god um, almighty it's like but it, i made a joke about that i said listen if if a porn star ever said i'll pay if you pay me $130,000, I'll keep quiet. Yeah. I would have said, I'll pay you 1300 if you'll tell everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to leave it there. How can people find out more about what you do? They can follow me on Twitter at Comic Jim David. Yeah. And they can, they can go on iTunes and get my CDs. The first one is called Eat Here and Get Gas. The yes. second one is Live from Jimville. The third one is Notorious FAG. And the fourth one is Hard to Swallow. And they're all hilarious in different ways. And uh, that's Your it. Your book's on Amazon? My book is on Amazon. You'll be swell. Love it. Thanks, right. Dennis. I love that we've been friends all this time. All this time. Almost 20 years. I know. I kn- it has been 20 years. Yeah, because it was 98, it was 98. when my book came so out. So it's 20 years. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks again to Jim David. You could learn more about him at jimdavidofficial.com. And I just brought up the website. And it says, comedian, writer, actor, DJ, smartass. I didn't ask about the DJing, but I think we covered the smart-assing. So uh, check it out. 
All right, so this happened. I uh, went to Del Shore's play last night here in L.A., Six Characters in Search of a Play. And he's been touring it a bit in Texas and Oklahoma, and he's back in L.A. doing it. It's terrific, but he told me that a listener of, of mine went up to him in Oklahoma and said that he learned about the show from this podcast, which made me feel great. And I really love the show, especially the section where Dell talked about his mother and her passing away. And Dell's a really good actor. He was like in it. So anyway, if you're in LA, um, check it out or keep an eye out for it as it tours around the country. Um, one last plug, the live stage version of my game, You Don't Know My Life, is coming to the Renberg Theater in Los Angeles on Sunday the 11th. Uh, at 7 p.m., you can just show up. It's going to be 10 bucks. We're going to try to see if a live version, uh, how it plays, and hopefully get people excited about the game and um, have some laughs. All right, and Reba Ariba is going to be my Vanna White, so that'll be fun as well. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.